Well, good morning. In fact, yeah, if you guys like uh, the decorating part, it really does go a lot smoother and a lot faster with more hands on deck. So if you can find some time to join us the next few days to help Felicia and her team to decorate, it'd be great. But before we dive into anything else, I want you to welcome uh, somebody up for me. And this is, his name is Zachary Erickson. He is, uh, he is going to be deployed here next Sunday. So we're going to be praying over him. So welcome him up as he comes and his family. Come on, we're going to stand you in the middle. So, um, Zach here is going to be deployed um, to, I'm not going to disclose the location because I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but it's a dangerous enough place and he's going to be on a a fast team, which I found out is kind of an anti-terrorism team at at embassies. And so, his um, mother Kelly and his father Doug and his sister and nephew are up here and we're going to be praying over them because we want to just, uh, not just thank men like him who go and serve and care for our country and us and keep our freedoms, but also we want to pray for their safety. Amen? So let's do that together. Father, we uh, bring this, uh, this man to you, this warrior who has uh, dedicated himself uh, to uh, caring for us in a way of the ultimate sacrifice, giving his time, his, uh, his effort, even it may, if it may be his life. But we pray that it wouldn't be the case, that he would not have to give his life, that, Lord, you would protect him, that you would empower him, that you'd give him vigilance and, um, and ability to see so clearly what is going on. God, in that wisdom and that knowledge, would you just allow him to uh, be an aid to his brothers and sisters in arms as well as he oversees um, the, the position that he has and he um, works within the team that he works. God, enable him to work well with his superior officers. Allow him to lead well where he needs to lead and enable him to continue to grow in his, um, in his abilities that he might um, be just an impressive soldier uh, for your name and for, uh, for those he works with. I pray you would bless him and bless the family. As God, I know the anxiety is great and the fear can be overwhelming, but you are with him and we pray that you'd be with his family. And in this, God, you'd bring him safely and that you would uh, just exalt your name in Zach's life and in the Erickson family's life, that you, God, would, uh, would use him greatly and use his family. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, and again, if you, we, we want to do that for those of you who have fam- loved ones and family members, or if you yourself is going to be deployed, let us know ahead of time so we can work it out and get it worked in. Sometimes it takes a little bit, but we love to do that. Um, we're going we're gonna to be back in the book of John here, and so uh, let's, let's kind of begin with this. It, um, as, as we started, I was um, reminded of a time period in my life as a young boy uh, where I myself found myself lying, and I can still remember the concrete. Uh, you can feel the grit in your fingers. You can feel the coolness of the ground. Um, it kind of wasn't feeling good because my back was against it and my head was against it. And I can still recall the tears trying to well up in me as these the boys, the, the larger, taller, older boys in my neighborhood, um, sort of like to use me, the youngest, smallest boy in the neighborhood, as kind of their, their way of dealing with their insecurities. And, and so the reality was they would constantly shove me down and do kind of stuff. And I can still hear their taunts in my head where they were saying, saying, hey, you know, you're a big boy, Greg. You don't have to cry. You're a big boy, Greg. And everything in me wanted to cry because everything in me felt ashamed, felt small, felt like a loser. 
Yet in another time period, uh, just a few years later than that, I can remember being roughly around six or seven, and my dad's in there telling me, hey, I'm going to raise you to be a renaissance man. You're going to learn music, and you're going to learn science, and you're going to have all this stuff. I, this, is, this is what you're going to be. And I can still remember the welling pride inside of me, the excitement that, that I was going to be trained by my dad in this stuff, and the wonder of, what in the world is a renaissance man? You know, that, that kind of... That kind of thought was going through my head. But at the same time, these were pivotal moments in my life, defining moments. I'll tell you what, I don't think I'm ever stopped fighting off those voices that say, you're a big boy, Greg, don't cry. At the same time, I don't think I've ever stopped trying to achieve the thought my father put in my head that you're, you're going to be a renaissance man, Greg. And I bet if we turned around and each of you started to share the defining moments of your life, we'd probably know more about each other than we, than we ever could have imagined. Because it's the people who speak into our lives at young ages that begin to shape and transform us. And we live with those lives, don't we? Don't we? Some of you are living with those words of those people floating through your head about your beauty, about your value, about your achievement, about your accomplishment, about what you ought to have achieved or what you should have done. All of us walk around with these pivotal moments, these defining moments shaping us with labels. Hey, we've been in a season of labels, haven't we? I mean, some have said that the election time period has been a referendum on labels. You know, people are sick and tired of being called bigot and racist and this or that. Other people are tired of being called edu uneducated or elitist or you name it. it is, people have said this has all been about labels and everybody fighting off labels. I, I think as Americans and as humans, we fight off labels all the time whether it's an election or not, whether it's liberal or conservative, or whether it's your personality, or whether it's your job, or whether you find yourself defined in some other category. Most of the time, when somebody tries to define you, we have a tendency to do what? Push back. We don't want to be defined. We don't want to be boxed up. We don't want to be labeled. And even in our pushback, even in my like, I am not going to be labeled, I find myself joining a, a large group of people who don't want to be labeled. When I want to be an individual, I just become an American. Because Americans are individualistic. We're labeled. Face it, there's never a way away from, from labels. There's never a way to get away from somebody putting a label on you that is at, gen at least generally somewhat correct. And here's the problem. We don't want to be labeled, but we're going to be labeled. And in fact, when people speak into our lives these labels, they begin to shape us. They begin to challenge us with these defining moments. And my question is, how do we live in a world that's constantly trying to label us, whether it's label us as Christians or label you as a person? How do you walk in a world filled with labels and still stand firm to who you really are? You see, that's the struggle. Somebody's voice is going to be right. Who do we allow that voice to be will shape the way you live. Jesus was actually labeled many, many different ways. He was, people tried to force labels onto Jesus constantly. In fact, we'll see that here in John chapter 7. And so if you want to grab a Bible, let's take, take a look at how Jesus handled labels and people trying to label him and force him into a direction. So if you grab your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We supply Bibles under the seats. Go ahead and grab one of those. You'll find on page 892 the actual um, section that we'll be looking at. Now, 
And Jesus has been hanging out in Galilee for the last few, actually a few months, doing some various different um, teachings and miracles. He's fed thousands of people with a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And then Kevin kind of walked us through how Jesus is discussing with people. And Tim walked us through the very difficult passages. Thank you, Tim, uh, for not letting me do that. For I, I didn't have to do that. So that's nice. Um, he just ditched it to somebody else. So Tim, Tim took us through some of the controversial teachings of Jesus. And really what happened in his controversial teachings is that his disciples said, you know what? <laughs> We're good. Thanks, Jesus. It's been a great time. Have a nice day. And suddenly his crowd of disciples have thousands of people have shrunk down to a handful of disciples of men who have, and, and some women who had said, we have nowhere to go. Yours are the words of eternal life. Uh, where are we going to turn? And so Jesus is sitting here suddenly probably with the biggest blow. His church is shrinking. Not a good sign for a pastor. And yet it's massively shrunk. And, and so it's interesting that the first thing we receive is his brothers kind of stepping in as the new PR representatives. Let's take a look at this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee this is northern Israel. He would, he would not go about in Judea, which is southern Israel, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And here, note that the Jews means the Jewish leadership. This is not a like racial uh, situation. This is a leadership situation. And often in the ancient world, the way that your leaders went was how the nation was judged. That's how it's viewed in scripture. And so here you have this idea that Jews are that kind of catch-all phrase. They were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. Now, this is a big celebration. This was a celebration of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And so it was like a giant camp out for men. It was, and, and that may sound cool to some of you. And some of you guys who love hotels, it was, was miserable. But the reality was you were called three times to be before the Lord in the Old Testament. And one of those times was the Feast of Booths. And this was the time of the biggest kind of Thanksgiving. It was the Thanksgiving holiday of the ancient Israelites. Harvest had all come in. Everything that they needed was there. They prepped for the winter time. And now everybody just before winter would hit, would gather before the Jerusalem, outside the gates, the walls would get packed. In fact, there would be all these little makeshift lean-to tents and stuff. The family, the men of the families would gather in. Now the women would stay home and do the cooking. The men would go out and have fun. That does sound like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? Any of the ladies are like, yes. Anyway, the men, you know, men go watch TV. and, they, and they, Never mind, I won't get in there. But the uh, reality is that they're out of this thing. They're celebrating. The whole place is packed with people, and every man is expected to go. So it's no wonder that his brothers come up and say, hey, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he, if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Can't you see a good set of brothers coming up to their older brother telling him like, hey man, you had all this loss, you got all these people? Shh, that's us. We'll tell you how this works, Jesus. Come on, man, you do some pretty incredible stuff. You need to just go up there. It's the largest crowd of the year. Go to the festival, do some miracle, and everybody will be right back in. You'll have more than ever. This is how it works. Show yourself to the world. This is great. It's good advice. I mean, that's the advice we would get. Gather as large of a crowd as you can. Care and do something amazing. And people will hear and they'll start to join. And then, boom, you're in. Jesus, however, pushes back. He actually resists the famous label. That's what the brothers are saying. His brother's like, you, you, you want to be famous? You want to be open? You want everybody to know who you are? Dude, get out there and do something incredible so everybody's checking you out. Let's be famous, be popular. High school and youth group, we'd say, be cool. 
I mean, who, how many of you had a good brother or a good sister that, who was ahead of you and just leaned over and said, hey, this is how you need to act at school so you, don't, you can follow in the right crowd, and then you'd be cool. You know, some of us did, some of us didn't. The reality is that's what these brothers are trying to do, pointing Jesus in this right direction. But this is what he says. Jesus, um, because Jesus understood something about his brothers. First of all, verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. So these aren't like followers trying to encourage him to, let's make the following bigger. They're sort of like guys who are like, hey, we really know how the world works. Let's, we want to tell you how this happens. And so they represent the world. They represent those who didn't believe and what they wanted of Jesus. They want Jesus to do some really cool stuff so we can follow him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. Now, some little debates there about what all that, how all that works out. But Jesus primarily saying, guys, you want me to go try to be glorious and famous? You want me to go gather everybody around me and make myself really cool and amazing? That time is not yet here yet. I'm not gonna, my time is not yet to go to this festival to go have that happen. My time is a different timetable. You have your timetable as human beings and it's always good. My timetable is run differently. I, I go by the timetable of my Lord, of God, of my Father. And, and that Jesus is saying, when the Father tells me to go, I'll go. When the Father tells me to do a work, I'll do a work. When the Father tells me to teach something, I teach it. That's why the world hates me. Why would I go reveal myself to the bunch of people who hate me and want to kill me when they don't like what I teach. And it's very interesting because what Jesus is saying is there's kind of this contrast. They love what he does. They love his miracles and feeding people and doing incredible care and nice things and justice-oriented stuff. But we're not quite so sure about how he teaches and his stances and his positions. That's just, nah. The world doesn't like, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like being called evil I don't think the world cared much to be called evil, but that's what Jesus said. He said, I, I'm telling the truth. I say it like it is. I'm not pandering for popularity. This is important for us as the church. As Christians, as people who belong to a faith which we claim a name of Christ, it's important to us to think through what is it that begins to push us in labels. Are we going to pander for popularity or are we going to stand like Jesus and resist the label? Because today's Jesus followers need to do the same that he did. We need to be willing to not allow the labels to push on us, but to be labeled by God. See, Jesus said, my time happens when my father does it. My time's not yet. That's when the father declares it. I'm going to teach what I'm going to teach. Because that's, and he'll say later, that's the father's teaching. And this is really, really important. Because we live in a time period, let's be honest, where there's a lot of churches that are really excited about doing the works of God and doing the works of, of Jesus. And they want to get out there and, and they should. And it's right. And I'm not knocking this because we, the, in the same way, we want to care for the poor. Amen? We want to see people made well. We want to see them cared for in all of their situations. We want to see healthy marriages. We want to see justice prevailing. These are things that are good and right. Amen? All right. I hope we're all on the same page. The problem is when that's all we want to show off. When we're real cool with doing the works of Jesus, but hey, when the Bible seems to say certain things about certain peoples or stuff that's not popular, uh, we changed our mind. 
And it's happening a lot. It's not happening in major institutions, but it's happening bit by bit amongst Christians who are willing to say, yeah, it's cool with the change of marriage or say some of these other specific issues. Pot is becoming another very powerful shift that's happening in churches. And what's happening is people are not willing to go, well, what does this say? They're nervous about the labels. I don't want to be a bigot. I don't want to be behind the times. I don't want to be left behind. I want to be on the wrong side of history. Labels. And the important thing is that, no, we don't want to stop doing the good, the works of God, which are very popular. But we need to stand both with the works and the teachings of God. And Jesus does that. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to go just go pander and, and make popularity. And if some of you guys don't struggle with fame. You're not like one of those people who grew up like I was. I was like, man, I, I want to write the best-selling book. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with that in my heart and I'm dealt with that. But there are people in, amongst us who are like, you longed to, to be popular at school. You longed to be cool. You longed to have some kind of success, to have some kind of position in your workplace. Let me just put it this way. How many of you have ever struggled with people-pleasing? Put your hand up real quick. Thank you. I knew people pleasers would raise their hands. It's just the nicest thing they do. The, uh, <coughs> no, no. Everybody at some point struggles with people pleasing. It's the same problem. We can't resist the apparent pain of the, what they would think of us if we were to take a stronger stance. And Jesus resists the people pleasing. He resists the popularity. He resists this by saying, no, I stand firm with what my father's timeline is. It's not my time yet to gather massive crowds. No. And so he resisted. And so it's interesting, as we look at Jesus, as he deals with labels, he continues to kind of have this stance as he begins to, he then goes to the actual place. Verse 9 says, and after saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up. Now the people are like, hey, he just said he wasn't going to go to the feast. No, he said he wasn't going to go at that time. His time was not fully there yet. His time came when the father said go, so he gets up and goes, and that's what's implied in the text. And so he heads down to this location. And so as he's coming, he goes up in private, not publicly. Now, the Jews were looking for him at the feast saying, where's that man? That's not happy words. They don't like him. They're trying to stop him, find where he is. And there was much muttering about him among the people. What some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And so here's the picture. Here is Jesus coming into town and he's hearing people. Now, the Jewish leadership has said, this guy is wrong. Anybody who's with him, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. we we'll find that out later. But the Jewish position of the leadership is very strong against Jesus. In the meantime, you have the, you know, the followers who are like, we're with Jesus. And the leadership is saying, we're not with Jesus. And everybody's stuck in the middle. They're all quiet, muttering. I don't know, maybe he's a good guy. I don't know, maybe he's a bad guy. I don't know, I can't figure it out. Anybody feel like we just lived this story? How ironic. <laughs> Sitting around going like, I don't know, is that Canada a good one? I don't know, I heard it's bad. I know I heard it's good. Oh, no, don't say anything. People will judge you on Facebook. You know, it's kind of this reality <laughs> that there is this pressure. And Jesus is showing up and, he, and he's confusing the labels. And so people struggle with what to do with him. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he teaching bad stuff? Is he but he's doing good things? You ever thought that maybe one of Jesus' things is he messes up our labels? 
we think we got Jesus figured out. And he's like, but I had said this. And you're like, I don't like that. It doesn't work. Don't do that to me, Jesus. He jumps into our, maybe it's your little conservative bubble. And he starts going, yeah, you got to care for the poor. And it's not all about this. And you're just like, ah. Or jumps into your liberal bubble. And he's like, well, this is wrong. And there are lines. And you're like, ah. Jesus is tough. And so you get this, this, what, where was this shift, like, where do I go with Jesus? How, how do I deal with Jesus? He makes you uncomfortable. And fear will keep you quiet and compliant. One of the reasons we tell people here at Olive Branch, ask your questions, is because you shouldn't have to fear to ask questions about Christ. Shouldn't have to fear to wrestle through your doubts and wonder. But in a world that wants to give you fear, there's lots of ways that labels will give you fear. Some of you are willing to abandon aspects of the faith and not examine those texts because you're afraid of a label. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Some of you may be examining Jesus or want to examine Jesus, but you're not sure how to do it because you're afraid of the consequences. It is true that if you discover that Jesus is God and you're living with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, that you're going to have to get married. You may have to wait to have sex. That you're going to have to shift maybe some of your job of what you're doing. That maybe you're going to have to respond differently to that neighbor who isn't like you because you need to love them. That we're going to have to drop a prejudice because with Christ, all men are made in the image of God and equal in value and worth. There's always change that Jesus demands no matter where we are. Jesus is a demanding figure. His teachings are indeed controversial. And so we don't come to him and feel comfortable and feel safe. No, we come to him and suddenly we feel upended and confused. And I'm not so sure which way to go because I have fear that won't let me examine it. Can I just give you the freedom to let the fear down, to examine the word of God and to allow him to teach and decide and, and guide you in who he is. But I, I really think we'll struggle with it. Well, no matter where you stand, even as Christians, we still struggle to really know Jesus and to really examine his words, not just because of business, but because I think there's a cost and with that cost, we're not so sure we want to get involved. We're going to become quiet. We're going to become compliant. And even better, what we do is we just change Jesus instead of changing ourselves. Notice what happens. As we pick back up here in verse 14, at about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. It's not so much that he got up and started doing miracles. No, he wasn't going to give in to that. So he starts to teach. And as he teaches, suddenly the Jewish leadership marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Did you hear it? How is this uneducated podunk Galilean teaching these people so well? He doesn't have our elite educational... That's how they all talk like this, actually. And this is not fair. He can't teach like that. Sure, he could, he could teach as much as he wants to because the word of God is, you know, and he gets into it. He's like, they're, they're sitting there going, he's uncouth, un, untrained. He's not in our label. 
And Jesus answers, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. You think I'm just teaching for myself? You think I'm just throwing out there? No. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether my, the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. Now, the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. In other words, he's saying this, I've been sent by this one, the Father, to speak to you. I'm going to speak what the Father speaks because I want to make him famous, not me. I want you to hear what he said, not what I said. I'm going to do his works because I want to do what he told me to do and not what I do. I'm not out for my glory, I'm out for his. So if you think I want to teach from my own authority, the reason you don't believe me is you don't want to do God's will. Can you imagine telling the Jewish leadership who has designed all these laws and all these rules about how to follow God's laws and rules are being told, but you don't follow them. In fact, he he just kind of lays it out there. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Has not Moses who came from God gave you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? So why do you seek to kill me? In other words, Jesus goes, hypocrites. So you got, oh, you Jewish leaders, you, you, you want to you tell me I'm breaking the law. You want to say, that, oh, yes, we always follow the people who come from God. Moses came from God and gave you very clear rules, and you can't follow them as evidenced by the fact you built all these other rules around it. And Jesus just owns them. I mean, he just owns them right there. And there's like, Ugh. He just breaks the label. You think I'm uneducated? Here, boom, here's what your education did. Well, and he says, You're, why, and why do you seek to kill me? Well, the crowd jumps in now. You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus, you're crazy. And Jesus goes, okay, we got to deal with this. I did one work, he says in verse 21, and you all marvel at it. Now, he's referencing chapter 5. A few months ago, we dove into chapter 5, and Jesus shows up at this other festival, and there's all these people covering these pools called the Pools of Bethesda. And he comes to these pools, and he picks one guy out of the teeming masses who's been struggling for 38 years with an infirmity. And he goes up to this guy, and he says, do you want to be well? He's like, I can't get in the water, and I got the soft story. He's like, get up. And the guy gets up, says, take your mat, go home. Picks up his mat and starts walking. And the Jewish leadership goes, it's the Sabbath, you can't do that. Who, who told you to do that? He did. You know, and he blames Jesus. And now Jesus is in trouble with the law because this guy was told to pick up his mat on the Sabbath. He healed him on the Sabbath. That's not good. And Jesus goes, okay, so I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not this from Moses, but from the fathers. So this is even before the law. This is circumcision that has always been around. It's something we do. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do you get what he's saying? He's sitting there going, really? I do. I make a guy's life well. And you guys look at me like, you did it on Sunday. It was Saturday, but then it's the same thing for them. You can't do that on Sunday. Okay, time out here, guys. So you're telling me we're going to nip the tip on a Sabbath and it's okay. (laughs) 
but I can make a guy well completely and we're, we're not good with this. Take a little bit away from a body or heal a body. Give me a break. Which one's the greater one? And at this point, they would have laughed. It's like, really? We're going to go here? That you're going to be upset with me? I bring a whole life to wellness on a Sabbath day when you're willing to chop a little bit off a of life to obey the law. And that is, the, that is the picture of what Jesus is saying. This is ridiculous. Notice his conclusion. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Don't judge with your assumptions. Don't judge from your fears. See, Jesus won't fit our labels, but we try to put them in them. I mean, Americans have tried to fit Jesus in labels. Christians have put Jesus in all kinds of labels. The world has put Jesus in all kinds of labels. We got a Muslim Jesus. Jesus preached in the gospel, in, in the Muslim faith. He will return, kill all the pigs, and then he will declare that Muhammad is the prophet. And, uh, and he is actually, and, he, and Jesus is actually the Christ in their view. You know, the Jewish people have their version of Jesus. Good teacher, good prophet. The world has their vision of Jesus. But the church has gone through theirs. Back in the 1900s, we had fundamentalist Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about the poor. He doesn't care about all the political stuff. He doesn't care about any of these things, the suffering of people. No, he just believes in these five simple fundamentals, and that's what we need. And the rest of the culture should just go away. Close it down. But Jesus is on our team. Of course, the liberal, there, was, there was liberal Jesus. And no, no, Jesus doesn't care about what you believe. Believe what you need to as long as you have some idea of the resurrection. Let's go help all these people and care because it's about what you do, not what you believe. God's not going to judge what you think in your head. He's going to judge what you do. That's what Jesus would have told us. Now we have red letter Jesus. Only the red letters count. And we have, we have let's, let's keep going. We got Oprah Jesus. He's a spiritual guru that we all need to just connect with. And he's so, oh. We got Buddy Jesus of the 1990s. Anybody remember Buddy Jesus? He was from, I forget what the movie is, but he's like, he's like, hey, you know, Buddy Jesus. You can actually get a Buddy Jesus figurine out there. They exist. Some of you have one, I know. You're like, it's my little sin. It's like, the reality is that we, we think of Jesus as our friend. Jesus is my friend. I could play the horrible uh, YouTube video, but I won't do that to you. Look it up at home. You'll hate me for it later. The reality is that we've attained Jesus a thousand times. We got Democrat Jesus. We got Republican Jesus. We got conservative Jesus. Every time we take a move, we don't want to dive in and see what Jesus said about himself. We don't want to see what the scriptures declare Jesus is. We want to tell everybody else, this Jesus is on my team. As the church, we can't do that. We are not governed by a set of labels or ideas. We are governed by the truths of the scriptures. And we are taught who Jesus is, not just from the gospels, but also from Paul and every book of the Old Testament attests to who Jesus is. You can't ignore any of it. We can't put any of it aside. He teaches us about who he is. And that sometimes is uncomfortable. And we can't fit him into a label. And yeah, that means there's a sacrifice. I, I, can, I can remember this time um, with my, I, I don't know that I was told the story by my, my wife and her family had some really close friends. 
who were Mormons. And her parents got into this conversation with them that lasted several weeks and several months and time went on. And it was describing the difference between Mormonism and, and Christianity. And as they went through it, finally, uh, the Mormon dad, he just said, you know what? You're probably right. I see what you're saying, but I'm never going to believe it because I'm not going to lose my family. And the reality is that some of us have that fear that we could lose something. If we really examined everything Jesus says, so we put him in a box. We label him away. We can't do that. Because when we do that, we do it from pride. And pride is not what we can have. We can't have all of these different prides. We have to judge him rightly. We have to judge him for who he is according to the word. And that means that we need to engage, yes, in the works of Christ. He has called you and me to care about this world. And we need to care about everyone in this world, whether they come to Jesus or not. Amen? Amen. Just because they're like, I don't really want your Jesus. We go like, oh, we're done with you. No. You love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. Then we move on, but we teach the truths of Christ. Does that mean we back off on popular things even if every Instagram uh, famous Christian is backing off of difficult teachings of Jesus? Do we back off just because the labels are calling us bigoted? Just because the labels want to come out and tell you that you're uneducated, uncouth, backwards, whatever? No, the labels will come. The labels will go. But it's the word of the Lord that will stand forever. And we stand with the word of the Lord. That's what Jesus said. He says, you think my teaching is great? It's because it comes from the Father. You think my works are great? It's because they come from the Father. And if we as a church are going to stand in a culture that's going to label and try to push us into its framework, then we are going to wind up easily getting shaped by them if we listen. Oh, okay, I'll change my, oh, you're not happy with that? Okay, I'll go over here now. Oh, you're not happy? Oh, you just want me to be you. We're not a church then. You can't claim the very name. Christian, Christ. Little Christ is what it means. And so we stand with Christ and we follow him no matter how controversial his teaching is or how difficult it is to live out his callings in the care of others. It is hugely important. That when the te- we do the teachings and the works of Christ when the pressure's on. No label should ever hold us back from that. You know, this morning, that's tough to think through. Like, wow, what, what's holding me back? What's making me fearful? Because those things will hold you back. Those things will keep you from examining Christ. And I want to just kind of leave it with this thought. I remember many years ago that I realized people's assumptions were what were ha- enabling them to label Jesus in different ways. And I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here today and you, you're examining Jesus. I want to challenge maybe that you have some assumptions. And those assumptions may be this. So I'll give you an example. I came outside. We have some students who will come because they've gotten in trouble and they have to do community service hours. And, and he was sitting down one day and I just came up with this guy. I sat down next to him. I said, hey, you know, how you doing? Good. We chat a little bit. And I said, so where are you at with Christianity? What do you believe about Jesus? He's like, oh, I, you know, I think he's a good teacher, but I can't believe in all those miracles and junk. That's just, this is weird. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I was just curious. 
you know, if I came to you and told you I was God, would you think that's weird? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, what would I have to do? Prove it to you. He's like, oh, I'm like, well, come on, give me something. He's like, well, you know, make the, make the building go up and down. I'm like, what if I had a lift under the building? That was no problem. He's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Like, Maybe bring somebody back to life or something like that. I'm like, oh, so a miracle. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, so Jesus comes saying he's God. He does miracles, but there can't be any miracles. So he can't be God. You see how your assumptions are eliminating your ability to even examine who he is? And maybe your assumptions are that this Jesus is bigoted. Maybe your assumptions are that this Jesus doesn't call me to something greater. I don't know what your assumptions are, but I want to challenge you to think through those because they may be keeping you back from actually examining who Christ is. And when the pressure's on, if you don't have a rock-hard foundation in who Jesus labels you to be, everyone else's labels will begin to define your life. I don't know whose voice is rolling through from your life, but I pray that one of them is the Holy Spirit who's speaking constantly the truth about who you are in him and who Christ is, that you can stand firm against any labels in this world. Do you bow your heads with me? We're just gonna pray real quick, but while we sing this part of the song, I wanna give you guys a chance. Maybe there's a fear that you haven't looked at yet, that you haven't examined. Maybe there is a, an assumption that you haven't examined yet. And while we sing, just ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God to show you what that may be. And then address it in your heart. And so, Father, we just thank you for this time to get challenged by Jesus who stood against every label. He allowed you and you alone, Father, to label him. And we thank you for that. Help us as the church who, who take on your name to do the same that we would be a people who are, are taught and trained by you and your word to do the things that you do and to stand where you stand, but with love and grace as you gave us love and grace. Challenge us as we just ask you to open our hearts up to what we fear and our assumptions. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.